Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. CFRU 93.3 FM is pleased to work with the Central Student Association to broadcast live noon hour concerts throughout October. Participating performers include the Wilderness of Manitoba, Jennifer Castle, Royal Canoe, Doug Paisley, and more. All shows take place at the University Center Courtyard, an accessible space at the University of Guelph, between noon and 1 p.m., and all are welcome to attend. For complete schedule details and performer bios, visit sundaycinema.ca and tune in live at 93.3 FM or CFRU.ca. CFRU, tuning in the neighborhood. I've been working for the man Someone come and take my hand Creative Control with Beach Comic By the time you hear this, I'll be in Halifax, Nova Scotia for the Halifax Pop Explosion. I'd like to thank the organizers of this fine festival for inviting me to come and do some stuff. And what they've got me doing is a couple of live interviews with uh, artists who are in town. On Thursday, October 23rd at 4 p.m. at the Museum of Natural History in the auditorium. All of that sounds a little daunting to me, but I'm going to do my best. At 4 p.m., I'll be interviewing the New York-based band Teen. So again, Thursday, October 23rd at 4 p.m. in the Museum of Natural History uh, in the auditorium there. And then the following day, Friday, October 24th, in the same exact venue at the same exact time, 4 p.m., Museum of Natural History, I'll be interviewing Bad, Bad, Not Good and Ryan Hemsworth. So that's basically what I'm down there to do. I'll be checking out a bunch of shows and going to stuff there's lots of good comedy this year uh, I know that uh, David Hetty is performing whom you might remember uh, he and I went out for sushi on the show once it was fun anyway I'm going to have fun so if you're in Halifax and you see me please say hello it'll be fun it'll be fun for both of us just to say hello and again thanks thanks again to the people of the festival go to halifaxpopexplosion.com for more information Oh, and uh, thanks again to all of you who have been supporting the show via the Patreon page, uh, where you can pledge money, a monthly amount, to keep the show going. You can go to patreon.com slash creativecontrol, and uh, it would, you know, I appreciate your support. I really do. I want to keep this thing going, but uh, I just, I need, I need something. I need a little bit of, I need you. I need you, basically. I, without you, there's nothing. Frankly, I'm just, well, you know, you know how it goes. On this episode of the program, I'm very proud of this one, John Darnielle, the esteemed songwriter John Darnielle, whom you might know from his work in The Mountain Goats, has just written a critically acclaimed new book. It's called Wolf in White Van. It was just uh, nominated for a uh, long-listed for a National Book Award, so pretty uh, amazing for his second novel, really. I'm, I'm, I was, I'm a big fan of his, so it was nice to have a, a, a nice extensive chat with him about his intriguing new book. So if you don't know John's work, um, I, I hope you enjoy this conversation and you feel compelled to pick up a copy of Wolf and White Van. And, oh, and also he had a very unique request for a song. Normally, you know, a musician will pick a song of theirs to go out on. Well, he had a very unique one, so stay tuned for that. 
So this is it. Myself and the great John Darnielle. This episode is brought to you by Pizza Trocadero, the finest pizzeria in all of Guelph, Ontario. They've got delicious gourmet pizzas or choose from an array of fresh ingredients and make whatever you like. Calzones, wings, panzerotti, salads, breadsticks, garlic bread. Pizza Trocadero has it all. You can find them at 7 Municipal Street in Guelph or visit them online at trocaderoguelph.ca. That's T-R-O-K-A-D-E-R-O-G-U-E-L-P-H.ca. Call them at 519-829-2444 for pickup or delivery. That's Pizza Trocadero, a place of the good trade. is one of the most esteemed songwriters working today. Currently based in Durham, North Carolina, he is the founder and leader of a beloved contemporary folk and rock band called the Mountain Goats, who have been prolific over the past 25 years and praised for their infectious, impassioned, and vivid songs. In 2008, Darnielle's first book, Black Sabbath, Master of Reality, was published as a unique fictional entry in Bloomsbury's 33 and a third music series, and he's also contributed a regular column called South Pole Dispatch to the American heavy metal magazine Decibel. This past September, HarperCollins published Darnell's second book, Wolf in White Van, a dark, dizzying novel about isolation and connection and interpersonal impact that was promptly longlisted for a National Book Award. Here now to discuss this further is John Darnell. Hi, John. How are you? Hey, uh, well, how are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. Where where in the world are you? I'm in Durham, North Carolina. Hey, you're in Durham. How are things uh, at home there? Well, busy. Uh, you know, I, I mean, uh, I have a three-year-old, so <laughs> they're just busy every day, active and, uh, and and entertaining. Yeah, I have a three-year-old as well. Um, he is, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's a, a wild and crazy guy. Does he sleep well? It's interesting you bring that up. Normally he would, <laughs> but last night he... He fell asleep on the way back from swimming lessons in the car at like 6.30, so he kind of missed dinner, and then he woke up at like 11, and then he slept perpendicular between my wife and I, so his head was like nestled into <laughs> her shoulder and her shoulder sore, and then he kicked me all night, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you didn't do well last night. No, our, our our dude has, he, he actually sleeps much better than he used to, but uh, but he, he, he has had some sleep sleep stuff his whole life, uh, and these days he, he wakes up and entertains himself. But in the middle of the night, you'll hear this hollering. Uh, this, this, he'll be, you know, saying his alphabet and, and saying all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I, I think he. Uh, I don't know if you've had this, but our son says he has like nightmares. He has bad dreams about polar bears and things. No, I my I talk. We talk about dreams. I'm not sure he. he I'm sure he has them, but he doesn't. He doesn't uh, identify them as such yet. He, uh, uh, he just. He, but he doesn't wake up scared. He, he wakes up entertained. <laughs> <laughs> and is he partial to either you or your partner? Does he have a preference? Um, I don't. Uh, well, he he sleeps by himself. He he doesn't. Uh, if he's in bed with us, he uh, it, he's too 
it keeps him awake. He can't he can't really go to sleep. Oh no uh, no, but I mean I mean generally because my son is very partial to my wife, so even when he shows up or if he's upset, I I almost can't help him. He just oh no, uh, it 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 varies. Um, it uh, uh, like right now I'm doing I'm the bedtime guy, but I don't think there's a partiality there. I think he's sort of a he's like a he's he's like a mom and dad. Um, what I want to say. Uh, uh, expert like you know he thinks each one has a, has a uses <laughs> he doesn't seem to express a real preference no okay all right well maybe i'm just not a good person and he no 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 i i, I hear that about a lot that the one thing is like we live a very different life because i'm gone a lot and so oh i see uh, so i'm i'm a you know there's a there's sort of a there's a lot more variety <laughs> in in who's available uh, than than there is in most families. Yeah, that's that's partially true. He likes sometimes when I say uh, good night, he asks me if I will go away forever now. So that doesn't seem <laughs> brutal. That doesn't seem right. I, I don't like that. But I'm um, we're trying. Funny, yeah, it's it's. He's a comedian. <laughs> he is a bit of a comedian. He is a bit of a comedian actually. He's a pretty funny little kid. Anyway, they, they're, it's fun. It's interesting. We're both going through the same th- three-year-old thing and. We're just about to have our second yeah, totally. second child is coming in December, so that that's a whole other. Oh, thing. awesome! Congratulations! Yeah, yeah, thanks. It's fun. Now we should talk about this book. I want to ask you about the, well, from my perspective, the temporal structure of the novel, the story of Sean Phillips. I found it rather unsettling, somewhat disturbing. Can you talk a little bit about what exactly inspired the structure of the book and, and the story itself? Yeah, I mean, the structure was something I settled on after uh, after sort of monkeying with it for a. A long time and not really knowing for sure what I wanted to do with it, uh, and uh, and then I had this idea one day to make it work backwards because before that I had a lot of different narrators, um, and I wasn't sure how to make them all work, and uh, and then I got the idea to tell it backwards, and that sort of seemed the point. I, I wasn't sure what the point of the story was, or what it was trying to do until I settled on this backwards telling, and then I thought, well, to trace towards something is an interesting idea. And it was around the same time that I changed the name of the game uh, from Citadel to Trace Italian. And uh, and I got the idea of mazes and, and structures and so forth. Um, I'm sorry, I have wandered in my thoughts there. I forget <laughs> what, what, your, what your initial question was. Well, it was just about the kind of temporal structure of the, of the story, which is rather unique in terms of how the action unfolds, how we're kind of introduced to the action of the story. And then the story of Sean, Sean as a character himself, um, uh, is he's very captivating, but I, I he seems troubled, and so I was yeah. I was curious about how you came up with both, uh, you know, how you conjured these these ideas. It sounds like you had the structure in mind after you'd kind of written out basic plot points and and characters. I had characters first. I think it starts with the with the, with the characters and with the idea of. Of we're thinking of characters as less knowable than I think most, not most people, but a lot of people. Um, you know, when I read a book, often uh, you, you get the sense that the author knows exactly who his character and what his motivations are. But I sort of don't work like that. I have a person who I sort of see and feel, but I'm not sure what they're all about. And then I write to sort of discover that. And uh, and uh, and so that's what was going on there. I think was you know kind of telling telling the story to find out who was telling it. Oh, okay, that's interesting. So you, this Sean was not inspired by any particular figure. Oh no, no, no. There's a there's a, there's a jumping off point. There's that that story of this uh, uh, two kids who who shot themselves after listening to a lot of Jewish priests, oh. but not by their characters. These are very different kids. This is James James Vance and Ray Belknap. Uh, it's a famous case um, in uh, Nevada. There's a documentary about it called Dream Deceivers. Um, uh, they sued Jewish priests. Their parents did, uh, and uh, and Jewish priests had to show up in uh, Reno, Nevada, to testify that they had not hidden backwards messages in their recordings to try and make their fans kill themselves. Right. Right. And uh, and it's 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 a remarkable documentary because like that's sort of you know uh, it's hysteria you know to suggest that a band would do something like that you know and mm-hmm. uh, and. And it's super interesting, and Halford speaks very eloquently about how, well, of course, we wouldn't do that, you know. And uh, uh, but but w- minus that, there's no real explanation of these people's behavior. These young people who are who are troubled, you know. Uh, that that's why the parents want to sue somebody is because they want a clean explanation of what happened. Yeah. Uh, and there's no clean explanation. I mean, that's the thing is like, and and that was the case in the 80s and 90s. When you get all these cases of, of trying to sue somebody for for a child doing something, you know, 
that, that people want some round narrative as to why people behaved a certain way, but I don't really think people are that linear. And, uh, and so that, that's sort of the jumping off point, but there's a, and, and one of the kids, uh, who shot themselves was, did survive for a while and was, and was very disfigured. And so, so that was the jumping off point, wow, uh, okay. but then there's a lot of, he did not live to be an adult and didn't build his own life. He, uh, it's, it's a different story that, thereafter. I had not, I did not realize that that was what inspired this, that, that makes it, uh, quite clear. And it's interesting how you've transposed this, because I feel like a lot of that, those kinds of cases seem to be about metal and the insidiousness, apparently, of metal music. Yeah. And, but I mean, but the, the thing is, that is transparently absurd, right? It's like, that's that's one of those things that like when, that that's the struggling of survivors to try to, uh, of the survivors of a terrible catastrophe, to try and make sense of their story, when the story probably doesn't actually make sense. Yeah. And, uh, and so, which is, yeah, that's definitely the jumping off point there. Now, Sean, uh, the character of Sean connects with people around the world via this text-based role-playing game he invented. As you mentioned, it's called Trace Italian. I didn't realize that you changed the name either. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, it's not it's not in the text or anything. It's just no. a, it was a thing as I went. So Citadel, and you originally called it Citadel. Well, yeah, I called it Citadel, and uh, and then as I was researching these games, because I wanted to find out how realistic my idea was and how, how workable it was, I found out that there's a game called Warhammer, which is one of the biggest uh, role-playing games in the world. It's giant, right? And, yeah. uh, and the parent company of Warhammer is Citadel. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, okay, well, that's really going to seem like, like you're talking about a specific thing, then, or at least it'll have an uncomfortable bleed-through. So, but but I had it, it already. The image of the game was of a fortress, right? A citadel is a is a you know a, a shining fortress of some kind. So then I started looking up medieval fortifications, um, uh-huh. and uh, you know just to to think of just of, of a thing that you might have. You know that was my my next way of thinking. Is like, well, how did people how did people try to protect themselves uh, in the Middle Ages? And I discovered uh, the Trace Italiana. I can't pronounce French at all. Um, but uh, but the Trace Italiana uh, was this this star shaped style of defending cities that was pretty badass and so i thought well this is cool i have a place to use that so and then i transliterated that into english just as sean did right okay that's that's great too see i'm i'm learning this is not in the text i'm learning stuff i'm this is illuminating the book to me so i'm i for one so far i'm happy with this thank you for these explanations of course now so as i'm saying uh sean connects with people via this game he invented and the way that it works is players receive instructions from him via letters in the mail before they can advance in the game. And I feel like there's a whole lot to unpack in this sort of plot construction. First off, what's your own relationship like with, with role-playing games? Um, well, it's kind of involved now, but before it was like just the sort of uh, tangentially related to my younger interest in science fiction. It was like not something I really did. I played D and D for like one session in junior high and it didn't really, didn't really get into it. But, uh, but it was always there. It was something people who were into the same sorts of things I was into were into. Yeah. And so it was something I was, you know, aware of the way that, the way that if you're into music, you know, uh, you may not be into every band, but, but you know what, what's going on with them and roughly what they're about. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that was my relationship with that stuff when I was younger and in a sense, that's kind of the best stuff because it's the stuff you imagine things about that you don't know about, so you, you tell yourself stories about, right? And, uh, and if you don't delve in too deeply, you sort of get to have like little mysteries. And uh, and so, but I mean, I, I now play weekly because well, I got pretty interested in what I was writing, so I have a, a weekly game to go to now. What's the game you play? Uh, I mean, we play different games every week. It's, a, it's, it's as much about uh, meeting with friends as it is the games. Uh we we just did uh, uh, an adventure in the new D and D module, and now we're doing a game that uh, uh, John, a guy I play with, actually has designed himself. I play with a game designer named Jason Morningstar, who's uh, kind of a uh, I don't want to say not a mad genius, but he's a, it's a total. He's he's a he's got his own look at games, and he's great. And he's we played through uh, a game of his called Night Witches. It's not out yet, but it's about. Um, uh, this women's uh, fighting or women's air squadron in the Second World War, uh, Soviet mm-hmm. air fighters, mm-hmm. um, called the Night Witches, which was really great. So, and do you do you is this a thing where you play with, with all of you in the same room? Or are you playing kind of over the internet? How are you doing that? No, no, we we meet at Jason's once a week. Okay, so it's in, it's in the town that you live. Okay, but are you also yeah. are you saying that prior to writing this book or immersing yourself in this realm, you hadn't really? 
done too much other than some D&D? I had played one session of D&D in seventh grade. That was it. Seventh grade, okay. And it just... and, and the thing is, I played a lot of video games uh, when I was younger, and there's, there's, uh, there's, they're, not, they're not the same, um, but, but there's, uh, they exist broadly in the world of playing games, right? So, uh, which is a thing, right? Uh, so. But you, have a th- like you are immersed in other worlds, like, uh, you know, like music and, and, and other things. Did you find the same identification with music or other forms of pop culture that you would in a, in a role-playing game, so to speak? Like, you know, like people, when they get into metal or something or a kind of music, they really start to personify it almost. Like it becomes a part of them. And then this whole idea of role-playing games, and forgive me if I'm simplifying this in some way, but with role-playing games, you are taking on another personality, another identity almost. Could you relate? We're not taking one on. You're, 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 you're trying one out. Uh, it's, hmm. uh, it's, just, it's just, a you know, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I lost I lost track of of your initial uh, of what the exact question is. My question is: Can you identify? Do you identify with role playing games and the people who play them the same way you might with music fans or people who or love movies or other things and get super into them? I mean, in the sense, in the sense that 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 it's it's a thing one does to sort of explore one's own tastes and and preferences and thoughts. Then, then yeah, it's a little, it's a different area of creativity, but it's 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 all and creativity is the big thing that you're having contact with, whatever art or pursuit you're you're doing. I would argue actually even in sports, but um, but uh, but yeah, I mean in that sense it's all the same. I I think I think sort of the division of of fanhoods of movie fans being different from music fans being different from book people. A lot of that's fairly superficial. It's all about accessing the the life of the mind, right? And mm-hmm. and the life of the mind is immense, and there's a lot of different axes on which one can make contact with this. And uh, and so in that sense, they're very similar. Um, I don't think they're... I think most differences around that stuff are fairly superficial. I think that maybe there's a... And I don't know if it's negative or positive, but there's a certain connotation about role-playing games. If you, if you if, if someone were to say, I'm into role-playing games... And someone else were to say, "I'm a huge fan of Martin Scorsese or something." I think they might be viewed differently depending on who's receiving that information. Um, I think role playing. They might, but that's. I mean, that to me, that's kid stuff. It's like seriously, it's like it's what 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 a to to sort of have a to have a a sort of a, an avatar of who you think the type who's into role playing games or movies or books or whatever or or individual directors. It's like that is something we do. But I'm kind of like, and I do it too. But it, that's not something I'm proud about. You, know, it's like you shouldn't, you, you shouldn't, uh, you, you shouldn't do that. You know, it's like it's not. Uh, it, it's reducing people to types, which yeah. is a poor use of our time. You know, and uh, uh, not you're in my time, like our time here on this planet. It's like yeah. it's something that we we are told and told as children. That's not a thing you should do. But when we grow up, we sort of want to go. Well, now no one can tell me what to do. And I'm going to group people by types. <laughs> so, but I'm kind of not into that. And uh, I mean, I think it's the thing you learn playing games or getting into any subgenre is that uh, that those stereotypes are just trappings. They're not. They don't tell you really anything about the people who are into it. I don't think I, sociologists might disagree with me on this stuff. But I mean, but I mean, to me, the, the stuff you're into, the people you're into, they come to for so many different reasons. Uh, and and to satisfy so many different needs that you can't really speak typically about about this stuff or say well the fans of this are this way it's like people who who need creativity in their lives which is to say everybody um, are substantially the same in very many ways yeah okay I I, I agree with you there uh, let's talk a little bit about Trace Italian you mentioned uh, what inspired it on some level but can you have you can you talk a little bit about how you came up with this game uh, and whether or not it's actually playable. Um, well, I mean, I assume it's not playable. It's, it only exists in a book. Um, so, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I mean, you could, it could theoretically be, be made into something, but it does not exist. Um, so, so that's, I mean, it's an idea. It wasn't, um, it wasn't a but, situation where you constructed the whole game and then... No, I mean, that's something Nabokov would do, right? <laughs> but, uh, but no, I, 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 uh, although by the end I was having to like sit down with maps and trace things to see how many moves it would take to get from Utah to Kansas and stuff like that. I was having to, to, sort of, yeah. to ima- imagine it as a real thing. Uh, but, but it doesn't actually exist in real space in any way. Um, there, I did find out once I started playing with Jason and them, uh, that, you know, I, I had assumed 
play-by-mail had to be a real thing because of the assumption that if you can think of a thing, it probably exists, right? It's like you can imagine maybe, you know, a 20 billion tentacled monster. Okay, that doesn't exist. But if you can imagine a thing that doesn't involve great leaps of fancy, probably somebody else had the idea before you, right? Yeah, and, uh, yeah. And so, so yeah, so I asked uh, Jason, and he said, oh, yes, there's a... There's there's at least one left uh, that was a thing. And I looked them up. They, they they still are around. Most of them are computer admin now. So you, you sign up and, uh, and once your moves are in the computer, just takes your thing and spits out the next thing. But there is at least one hand curated one left. Uh, it was pretty interesting, but, uh, but yeah, so they exist. I never played them, but, but it was something that I was like, I felt like I must've seen it at for at some point. Okay, but did you model Trace Italian on another game like this? The, the... No, no, no. I just it's just a thought. Just to, I mean, and the, the the germ of the idea is the sort of thing that if you were ever a science fiction fan, you would have you would have come up with yourself. You know, like it, it's uh, crawling across the desolate post-apocalyptic wasteland for safety, right? You know, that's a that's a that's a, a trope. You know, so right. it was, uh, and then and then fi- filling in the details from there is sort of, uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of. It's not easy, but it's automatic. They they suggest themselves pretty pretty readily. You know, it's like the, the conflicts you would face in that sort of environment. What what kind of things you might run into? There there are some expected things from from basic science fiction lore and tradition. You know that that you can that you can dream up, and they and they lead to their own ideas. If you just sit there and, and sort of muse on them for a minute or two, you think about well, you know, abandoned stores. You think of of Dawn of the Dead. You know, and mm-hmm. uh, and the sort of scenarios you run into and those sorts of things. And uh, and they lead to their own situations just by just by reflecting on them for a minute or so. So that's that's all I did was sort of sort of daydream, you know. Now for Sean, I, I find that Trace Italian is this empowering thing. I mean, he's in charge of a thing that he invented. Is the ultimate goal for him in creating this that is it is is it that is it to actually sort of assert himself? Um, no, I mean, I think it was something he did idly because he was lying on his back in a hospital and that's a very intense place to be. Um, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a place where you, you need your imagination more than you ever have. Um, and, uh, and, and so, I mean, that's what I think he's doing is, you know, people, the, the idea of idle time is, is kind of disparaged, but, uh, but I think it's actually, uh, it's a profound thing in, in your life if you have too much of it and, uh, it, it circumstances mean that you are lying in a room by yourself most of the day and that he seeks refuge from himself hmm. you know from the, the the mundanity of the hospital room uh when he uh when he comes up with it and he's in but he's in the hospital he has entered the hospital uh, in a state of you know depression right i mean he's despondent about his own role or his own sort of life well, he's injured when he enters the hospital. He's 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 in the hospital because he he's badly injured. Yes, and so and I but I get the again maybe I'm confusing the I find sometimes trying to explain the timeline of this it can be a little confusing. But um, I just assume that he's is is this the self-inflicted injury that he's in the hospital for? Yes. Right. So I assume that because of this self-inflicted injury, his mental state was that I mean he was not particularly happy. Uh, given the fact that he well, I don't know uh, if he's really depressed. Actually, afterwards, I mean, he's very alienated afterwards. But uh, but I don't, I don't think um, that's the thing. Is like it's it's uh, he doesn't lash out because he's terribly depressed or anything. He does he does an inexplicable thing. Okay, it's it, that's the way it's left in the book too. It's just inexplicable. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. There's. I. I don't know any secrets about why he uh, does what he does. Uh, it's. It, it is a thing without that only he would know, and 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 not me. I'm not. I'm not hiding anything. Okay. <laughs> All right. I appreciate that. Now, another key aspect of the way the game works is these letters. Why did you have these com- these characters communicate via snail mail letters? Well, uh, that's when it takes place. The, the, there's no. Uh, the only email back then would have been through Prodigy. If you if you had the Two thousand dollars it cost to buy a desktop computer. Uh, so, and that was mail order and mail generally was a little subculture uh, or a, a bunch of subcultures um, back, uh, back stretching back probably mainly from the seventies through the nineties, but probably earlier also. Um, you know, ordering records on faith from just from catalog descriptions uh, and uh, and zines. You know, the zine world of, of science fiction and of horror. Uh, and so, so that's a, it, it's a thing 
a sort of a not forgotten, but but not widely known thing that I knew a little about, and so uh, so I sort of wanted to to use that because I always thought it was ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy. Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cool. So mail order, does mail order still appeal to you? Are you a mail order guy? Well, I mean, the thing is, like, if you do mail order just through the post of sending somebody an order for something, you know, through snail mail when you have a computer and stuff, you're sort of, that's affected, right? It's wearing a monocle, you know, when <laughs> you have glasses, right? It's like, um, it, it's not, you know, there's something to be said for it. I've written to people who I had, who I was in email contact with just for the experience of writing out and sending, mm-hmm. but it's a choice you make now. Whereas back then it was not, it was like, well, if you want to hear this stuff and be in touch with these people, you have to write to them. Right. And, uh, and you have to wait, uh, to hear back from them. And, you know, uh, you, you can't, Send a say you could send a second letter after, right after your first one. Going, oh, here's another thing I just thought. But it's all different. It's all different mode of communication. Uh, it's a different way of being, um, which uh, which was interesting and has a lot uh, a lot of interesting possible fictive possibilities. Yeah, I feel like we've just touched upon something I wanted to address. This idea of limitations. There's a whole strain within the book I think about limitations and pushing the limitations. Mm. Sean is sort of pushed past his own. At least two of the people who become obsessed with his game also put their lives at risk. And I'm curious, is this 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 sort of discussion or or these developments regarding limitations, is this about playing games or valuing life? Is it, can you talk about that? Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I do like limitations. I mean, I, I don't know what it's really about in the book, but it, it, you're right that it's a... It's a, it's a uh, something I like to, to spend some time thinking about and that I've always liked working within the limitations of analog tape or the limitations of limited tracks and so forth. Like when, when people would say, you know, now that we have digital recording, you have an infinite number of tracks and you never actually have to be pressing record. I don't, I don't like that. I, I like there to be formal constraints. Right. And, uh, yeah. and so, so that is a thing with me because I think formal constraints are valuable. Um, but, uh, that's all I got on that. I think. In terms of the book, you're not saying anything about that those constraints necessarily. No, no, no. I don't. That's not my style to have a point like that. My, I, I write to ask questions more than to to uh, to make points. And when you when you when you formulated these questions, I mean, have you did you achieve answers, so to speak? Like, do you feel like you? Res- no, no. I, I I I don't. I mean, there's answers to simple questions. But to complex questions, there's as many different answers. There's, there's, that's the, that's the point of asking them is to see what the various answers are. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm not trying to pose a question in order to answer it. That's the 19th century novel, right? That, that you <laughs> pose a question yeah. and you pursue it. And then you say, well, here, we've looked at this question and the answer is this, right. right? And that's cool. I'm not disparaging the 19th century novel. A lot of people say, and I did that and it was wrong. No, I think it's completely excellent. You know, it's like, I really love a lot of those novels. But it's not where we are now, and to do that sort of thing, you have to sort of be a wizard of time, like like uh, like Peter Carey or somebody, you know, <laughs> who can slip into that mode of being long enough to tell Jack Maggs or whatever, you know. And uh, whereas what I'm doing is 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 looking at a story that I envisioned, and then sort of looking at the various questions it maybe poses about different worlds and ways of 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 being, and uh, and hopefully the more questions the better, and the more unanswered questions the better, because that to me is sort of where that's the life of fiction for me. Yeah, and I, I think you've achieved that. I, I I leave I left the book sort of puzzled, and I but I kind I'm of, glad. I mean, it's like it, it feels funky to have written something where that's kind of the point. Is like you wonder, well, I don't like the idea of leaving people unsatisfied, but at the same time, 
I don't like the idea of leaving people satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I, it's, it's like, I, and, and, the, and the former course seems like the one that maybe is more satisfying in the long run. You know, the one that, that tells a story that hopefully is a good story, um, and that raises a bunch of possibilities and a bunch of a bunch of you know that that lets you know the character the way you know somebody in your real life. That is to say, you don't know why they do what they do. Mm-hmm. You have ideas, and even if they tell you outright why they do what they do, you go well that doesn't really exactly jive with these other things I know about you. You can't get a full picture be, in part because the whole idea of motivation is a little, a little tidy, you know, yeah. that, that people do things for all sorts of reasons, many of which are often obscure to themselves. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, we talked earlier a little bit about how, how, you know, these trials uh, and metal music and, and the supposed influence it might've had on some kids uh, inspired aspects of, of this story. Um, but how would you characterize the role of, of music in this book? Um, I mean, it's, it's a it's a side issue. It's in there in part because I think all you know, especially in the '80s. But you know, anybody who uh, if you're into, I don't know anybody who likes books and games who doesn't also like music to some extent. Uh, but also, I see so much of the world through that lens that 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 there's a little music in there, you know. But not so much. There's this. He he orders tapes from from uh, science fiction magazines you know it's yeah, a tangential yeah. yeah but also he has tinnitus and tinnitus is a harsh thing to have and one thing you can do with tinnitus is uh listen to music or white noise or 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 ambient sounds to mask it and so that's what he talks about using it for in his adult life right now given that this book represents you venturing outside of what people know you best for were you tempted to leave music out of it completely you mentioned that that's the lens you view the world in so it had to make its way in. Yeah, I mean, I don't... I, a world without music is not one that I really imagine much, although, you know, it, it does... I work on other stuff now, and and uh, and I, I don't know how much role music will play in everything, but, but, but to me, like, I don't... Like, I mean, I know that there are people for whom music is just something you happen to hear elsewhere in movies or on TV, but that's a very, very... Uh, like, that's like... Like, tell me somebody lives on the moon. It's like, that's not... It's so alien to my experience, you know. Yeah, you're a noted like to me when I write about people. They are people who have music in their lives. You know? Yeah, we all have music in our lives. Um, that's that's for sure. But I think sometimes when you are trying to step away from the thing that you're known for, or maybe even within your own comfort zone, sometimes it's good right. to, to have like a clean break. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess. But it's like, but 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 music's not only the thing I'm known for; it's a universal truth. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> It's like, uh, I mean, I'm known in my house for being a good cook, right? But I'm not going to leave food out of my books, be, you know, in order to, to, you know, to have that aside because food is also something everybody eats. So, so if you're going to write people, they have to eat food. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, I, I guess I'm... And, I'm, and if you're going to write people, they have to listen to music, so... Yeah, I'm comparing your public and... I'm not comparing your public to your private persona or person personality, rather. Um, sure, sure. But, but I don't... But I, there's... Look, I don't... Uh, uh, when I when I'm writing, I'm not I'm not thinking about crafting persona. I'm not. Yeah. I, I just write the stuff I'm writing. It's like if I if I sit there and think about well, what will people think about this vis-a-vis what they already think of me as a non-good? It's ugly and saying I can't I can't you know that's not something I can dwell on. Yeah. Well, you're now both a noted lyricist and and a noted novelist. What can you talk a little bit about what first inspired you to write? Uh, ever in my life. Yeah, like from the beginning, like from yeah, that's right. Yeah, when I was a child, I just I, I would tell stories. I, I had these very early surviving sort of comic books that I made with these little rubber stamps, these Laurel and Hardy rubber stamps that I had, and I would write little caption stories underneath them. They were really bizarre stories. I ran across them uh, not long ago, and they're, they're really quite... They, 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 they make stories out of the available pictures I have, which is pictures of Laurel and Hardy and then these letters of the alphabet. So they were being chased by the alphabet and, uh, <laughs> uh, it's pretty interesting. <laughs> so, but, uh, how, I mean, sorry, how, how, how old were you when you constructed these Laurel and Hardy adventures? I think this would be like four. Oh, um, wow. Okay. So I was a pretty precocious kid. Um, but, uh, but after that, I mean, I asked for a typewriter for my sixth birthday and got one. And, uh, and then I started writing short stories on on those, and I wrote short stories uh, all the way through high school. And uh, and then when music came uh, along, it sort of that's where I put most of my effort. And uh, I, I read a lot of poetry in the interim, uh, mm. 
but uh but yeah, I mean writing is sort of something I have done from as 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 early as I can remember. Was there a particular reason why music drew you in more than uh, like a, a musical path drew you in more than a literary one? Um probably the immediacy of it, you know, if you're writing, you have to wait a long time to find out whether it registers with people, you yeah. know, and uh and if you if you play a song, you have to wait until the song's over or not even that long to find out how it works for them. You know, I'm starting to get the impression that you're one of these guys, and forgive me if I if I'm maybe have the wrong impression here, but are you one of these guys that's kind of good at everything? No, <laughs> no, no, no. You're 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 utterly forgiven and thanked for having that impression. No, I'm not. Uh, uh, if I most things that I try to do in the creative sphere, I'm gonna I'm gonna wind up with something that I at least like a little. You know, um, okay. It, it might not it might not be appreciable by lots of people, but it will sort of have its own. I'm not a perfectionist, but I'll work at it hard enough that it'll at least be defensible on some, by some standard, you know. But uh, but no, you should set me to work uh, in in the sciences and then watch me fail. <laughs> uh, go ahead and hand me something to repair or fix, and never get to use it again. <laughs> okay, all right. I, I appreciate your modesty, but I, I'm I'm not letting go of this. I have the sense that you might be good at. No, man, I'm not that dude. I am completely. I am, I am the guy who will break your stuff. <laughs> Was the story of Wolf and White Van ever going to be a song? No. 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 Everybody asks that. And it's like such a, I, I, I don't really understand this question. Um, it's not, I mean, a, a song, hey, buddy, how's it going? <laughs> uh, it's a, I mean, a song is, a, is, is an explosion of creative effort. It happens in the course of a morning. Yeah. Um, and a book is a, is a much deeper exploration. I talk about, you know, a song is sort of declamatory. So you do make a point with a song. You say, this is the truth. And, and you, you point your finger at the horizon and, and declare your truth. And, uh, and a book is a much more open space to me. Um, so, so yeah, it's like if, if, if it was something I could do in a song, then it would be a song. <laughs> no, and I, I appreciate that you've been asked the question a lot, and I apologize for... Uh, no, no, it's fine. It's just, I'm, I'm actually getting kind of interested by... By, I mean, this it, it's it's almost like a like a Jungian archetype of a question that, that people are like, that the, like that tells me that, that people think of creativity as this or, or or a form as a floating thing, right? And it's like, and I think I think I think of forms as a little, not a little more set, but it's maybe having more inherent characteristics. Like there's some things that you would try to explore in a novel that that are different uh, than what you would do in song. No, obviously the scope and scale are totally different on many levels. However, there are instances where if you ask a songwriter, hey, what inspired the song? They could be like, well, I, I actually just read this story in the newspaper about these kids who were... Oh, yeah, no, that's always true. That's true, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that, as far as what inspires them. But, uh, you know, you guys see what you're saying. But, um, but, but what you're doing with it, you know, if you write a song about James Vance and Ray Belknap... And that song is going to be a ballad. It's, it's you know, mm. of some form. It's going to tell a story quickly and draw a conclusion of some kind from it. Or it'll throw up its hands and very explicitly say, we don't know what to do about this, you know, mm. and how sad, right? But it, it's probably going to say something like, and how sad, you know, <laughs> uh, or be angry at somebody about it or something like that. You know, a song is, songs have multiple shades, but single directions usually. Right. But a book... A book is, is as many directions as you choose to make it, you know. I mean, a, a book is more like a symphony, you know, uh, that it can have all these moods, and it resolves at a certain chord, you know. But in the interim, it goes all these different places. A song can only do that if it's like, you know, I don't know, The Second Side of Supper's Ready by Genesis. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, but for the most part, the songs I write are, are these bursts. They're bursts of feeling and thought, and, and, they're, and they're single communicative gestures that that find their point like a bone and then worry it until the bone is given as much marrow as it has and then we're done, right? And, right. Uh, and whereas a book is, like I say, it's, 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 a, it's a much bigger, more open space. Okay, okay. I appreciate that. Well, John, what's, uh, what's coming up next for you uh, in, in any of your creative realms? Is there something newsworthy or uh, that you're working uh, I'm always, you know, I never like to talk about what I'm working on. There's, there's, there's music in the hopper. There's, there's stuff going on. <laughs> it's uh but I always, I never like to talk about what I'm doing because, uh, because then, then people ask more about it. And I like for things to say sort of secret while they're, while they're being made. Um, but there's stuff I'm doing stuff. I mean, I'm, you know, there's mountain good stuff. People will probably hear from the mountain goods again before they hear from, uh, before they hear from John Darnielle, the novelist. Again. Okay. And, and sorry, are there, but there's no tour dates or anything like that. 
No, no, there's nothing scheduled. I, uh, there's, uh, I'm, I'm home for it. I just came back from, from reading tour and it was pretty exhausting. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm trying to sort of get my, I think it was remarkably exhausting. I didn't expect that because I sort of assumed the music tour, which is much more physical, would, uh, would be the more exhausting of the two, but it's not. So. Oh, interesting. What, do you have any thoughts on why that would be? Just the talking or the... Yeah, I think, you know, it's the, it's the cathartic release of playing music every night is a relief to the tension of the day. Right? Oh, and I, right. I don't know, really realize that because it also winds you up. I mean, it's like, it is physically exhausting, but psychically, it's a huge release, right? Like, every night you go to bed having left everything outside. You know, you don't have unresolved tensions of the day, right? You may be physically all wound up, you know, and, uh, and, and you may be very displaced, you know, by being far from home and far from your family and all that. But, but there's been this big release, you know, big, huge physical release every single night. And on book tour, you talk to all these people and you have all these pretty emotional experiences talking to people sometimes at the signing line. I was meeting about 200 people a night, um, but there is no physical release. There's nothing, right? And right. so you do that and then you're just sort of, sort of like a cloud, you know, you don't know where you are and what to do with this feeling. I mean, I could probably have gone out dancing, but that's not really what I do. You know, it's like I could go back to my room every night and, and, and it, I didn't really even notice that I was missing this release until I'd been at it for a week and a half. And by then I was pretty zoned. Um, so so. In, in the future, if you were to do another book tour, would you potentially try to coordinate some kind of solo music thing happening on the same? No, no, because I wouldn't be able to do the reading. You know, the, it takes its own energy that you need. You don't, and, and I don't like to cross the spheres like that. I really don't. Um, so, <laughs> okay. Like, you know, the, the, it's true because like, the big chain bookstores want you to play music and read uh, in the same program. And I'm like, that is weak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, no, I just meant like if you're in Philadelphia and you do a book reading at 6 p.m., maybe at 8 you play a show. That's all. I'm no, just... no, no. Our shows, our shows would not allow for that. <laughs> oh, like, okay. The, okay. Because then I'd be taking stuff away from the show. People paid to get in. I got they, they get all of me. All right, you know what? I was trying to come up with a solution. It doesn't sound like you appreciate my advice. I am going to take oh, this back. Do I, do I sound? No, I'm no, not, no. I'm, not I'm, just, I'm, I'm just, just teasing. I was just teasing. I, oh, I, okay. <laughs> I, I, I took it seriously. I was like, no, dude, I'm fine. Like, it's cool. But, but no, the thing is, like, the, the solution is to figure out where to put the energy. Like, I mean, I think going out dancing would be a good idea if it was something I was going to do. I did, like, in Denver, I went to see Robert Plant on my night off. Oh. That was a great use of my time, right? It was like, that was perfect. I was able to go listen to somebody else play music and, and have the experiences of being a spectator. And, uh, you know, I mean, I should, I should make a point of getting out on, on book tour more, but the thing is, is like the schedule of it was pretty nutty. It was like, wake up and fly to the new city, uh, get checked into the hotel if I could, which often they're like, Oh, you can't check in until four here, sit in our lobby. And so, <laughs> so, uh, and that really sucks. And, uh, you know, and, and, uh, you know, and then go do the, go, check in at the event, sign a bunch of stock in the store, try to get dinner in before the reading, which is usually not possible because the reading was at 6, and mm-hmm. that's about when I like to eat. Yeah. So do the reading, do the signing line, get out around 9.30, scramble to find something to eat, and try and get to bed as soon as possible because the airport at 6 the next morning, and this happened for a week and a half, right? And uh, yeah. so, so I, yeah, I mean, I would try and find someplace, but there wasn't a lot of room in the schedule because I was trying to get home. So. You know what it is? They're not booking you based on your internal dad clock. Dad clock indicates you're eating dinner by like 5.30, 6.45, maybe the No, nah, that's right, man. That's pretty hardwired for me by now. It's like, you know, this is when we eat dinner, I should be. And the thing is, I need to be in the kitchen. I need to, that's the other thing is, when we tour Australia, we fly every day and it's pretty, it's pretty disorienting. But huh, huh. Uh, we stay in these hotels, usually called the Medina, that are suites and they have a little kitchen. And all I got to do is go down to the corner store and buy some pasta and some stir-through sauce, right, which is one, then I'm not spending this crazy money that you wind up spending just to eat when you're on the road, which is like so. Yeah. You come home and you go, oh, where'd all my money go? I spent it all just to eat, you know. And so, yeah, yeah. whereas if you're staying in a place that has a little kitchen, then you can be civilized. You know, you can you can oh, I'm going to cook something for myself, you know. And uh, and and cooking for me, I need to be cooking so that I know who I am. <laughs> it's sure. like I am yeah. a person who cooks his own food, you know. And uh, and so. So yeah, it's like I might try and I don't remember a Coleman stove next time. <laughs> well, I think you're going to figure this out. I know it's a new realm, a new form of touring. Uh, are you planning on doing any more book touring? Are you coming to Canada or anything? Um, I mean, I always hate to answer this question for Canadian interviewers because I like you guys, but at the border, they forced me to recite 
a 20 year old arrest record and it's really humiliating. Oh, oh no. Um, so, and then by the time I get there, I'm in a terrible mood and people try to talk to me and I'm like, look, I was just forced to sit there and recount sorted details of my past for the pleasure of a police dude. And, oh, uh, oh and I didn't so, know that. I didn't know that. But, yeah, no, it sucks. I mean, musicians, I don't, but the thing is, I don't want to be complaining. People want, want me to come over to Canada and play my music and it's a rich privilege and I'm very happy to have that possibility but at the same time whenever it comes up i go god almighty if i just play buffalo i don't have to sit at the border in a little cell for three hours you know yeah and, yeah uh, yeah and yeah, that, yeah and they do that to musicians over and over and they take the laptops and it's really it's like now look most like immigrants to canada and the u.s or other countries have it way harder than me so i'm not trying to sort of like stand here with my you know, pity pot out and ask for yeah. pennies to be thrown into it but but at the same time it's like when I think about coming to Canada, I think, well, I, I have to sit and talk to the cops for four hours to do it, and that's kind of a bummer. And so, so, so I, you know, I, mean, I hope to make it up there uh, at some point. But it's sort of this sort of thing where I have to go, okay, we're going to go to Canada, prepare to be grilled by the police about drugs you took in the mid '80s. So, oh man, that sucks. I, I do really hope that that's you know resolved is, in some way. It's so much harder for you guys than it is for us. Canadian musicians go through a lot to come to the U.S. Yeah. It's like not. Border security is a uh, form of state control that is there to make you feel the power of the state, and it's a bummer. Um, Absolutely. uh, Absolutely, yeah. But I mean, it's it's why I assume we never get to see propaganda down here except every once in a while. Like, why do they want the hassle of trying to to do it just to play their music for people? Yeah, well, they also have a, they're pretty, uh, you know, eco footprint conscious. I don't think they're willing to do all that driving on some level. They, you know, I saw them on their last tour and. I felt like it was a special privilege to get to see them, and yeah. I also—they're so uh, the best. They're unbelievable. And no, I played a show with them. I finally got to see them in 2000—I want to say eight or nine. God Almighty, what a band! I mean, seriously, one of the all-time great bands. They are. They absolutely are. And and I'm sorry that they uh, don't make it down as much as they should, but they're fantastic. <laughs> and I, I mean, I, I'll agree with you. The last time I tried to cross the border with a band a year ago. They held us for six hours and threatened to. They were threatening us that we were, we wouldn't be able to cross, and then they let us go. It right, was, all mind games. It's weird. You know, it is, and it, I mean, it does make you go when you've been doing it for ten or fifteen years. You go, I can't do this anymore. You guys know me. I've been to your country ten times. You can see it on the passport. I never do anything except play rock and roll. Sorry to be whining. You know, yeah, but, yeah. But, I mean, it's the thing is like you. It does when you start to complain about it. I mean, for me, you immediately go, "Man, there's a lot of people with a lot bigger problems than this." You yeah, know. Yeah. And so I, it's like I want to be realistic about that. But at the same time, in the context of tour, when tour is stressful enough already, like the day or two before I start to cross the border, I just start. I can't sleep. It's like, oh my god, tomorrow I got to go and sit in a cell. <laughs> it's like I don't want to do that when I'm trying to be up tempo and playing music that night. <laughs> it's like. Yeah. No. No. So, I, so, yeah. You don't have to explain. That sounds terrible. Well, I. I do hope this is resolved and you feel comfortable coming back at some point. And, and once again, I want to tell. Oh, people, man, I will totally do it. I know I will. I just, you know, it's like, but when I think of it, I go, okay, well, this is something I sort of have to do push ups for. I go, okay, get, your, <laughs> get, your, get yourself emotionally prepared to talk about getting arrested in 1988. <laughs> yeah, that sucks. I'm sorry. Anyway, well. I'm sure it is so much worse for you guys. I'm 100% sure there is no way that your guards are worse than ours. Yeah, no, I, it's bad for everyone, but I do feel bad that, you know, someone as uh, respected as you can't uh, come over here and do your stuff. Well, thank you. That's, that's uh, thanks. I mean, it's like, but the thing is, it's, it's, it's not, it's not a Canada problem, and it's not a U.S. problem. It's a state power problem. It's, it's the way that, that countries treat their citizens generally. You know, it's, it's like, there's just a bad relationship between the people who, who, who actually line the coffers, that is us, and and the people who who are in a position to to, to decide how we get treated. You know. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. I agree with you. Well, I do want to let people know once again, John Darnell's new novel is a brilliant one. It's called Wolf and White Van. It's out now via Harper Collins. You can learn more about it uh, here in Canada at HarperCollins.ca, or you can visit Mountain-Goats.com for more info as well. John, normally, typically, at this point, when I'm talking to a musician, which I often do, I'll ask them to select a song uh, for us to go out on that might be relevant to a discussion or a new record. In this case, I don't know if that's really plausible. We've already established that the book has nothing to do with a song. But if there were a Mountain Goat song to go out on right now from your catalog, is there something that you'd like to, to send people out on? 
So, Man, we're not going out on a mountain goat song with this. We're going out on Today's Empire's Tomorrow's Ashes by <laughs> Propagandi. That is what we are going out on here. All right. I'll, I'll send them a note and make sure that's cool. Aren't they anti-copyright? They got, they got to explain it. <laughs> they, they, they're not going to. They, they know me. They'll be fine. It'll be good. That's a good choice. Yeah, that's, I, that's a quality jam, too. That's a, I, 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 lo- I love late. I love early Propagandi like everybody in the world does, but like I, I sort of feel like people don't talk enough about how good their last couple of yeah, I that's a good that's a good song to pick and uh from a record that uh, I have the t-shirt for that record. It's got an upside awesome. down upside down American flag on it. And uh, yeah, I just want to warn you that I'm never going to try crossing the border wearing that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so this is by special request Propagandi. John Darnell, a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for your time and uh, best of luck with everything. Good to talk to you, man. Take care. If you enjoy the Creative Control podcast and want to support it with a monthly pledge, please visit patreon.com slash creative control. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash creative control with two Ks. You can pledge $1 a month or $4, $8, $30, $50, $100 a month, whatever you want. There are gifts and incentives to pledge. But more than anything, you can keep the show going. There's no other revenue stream for this podcast. I've been doing it for my own fulfillment and to contribute something to the culture. But I think it's time to see if I can generate some kind of salary from all of this work. So, if you appreciate Creative Control, again, please consider pledging a monthly amount. All of the info you need is at patreon.com slash creative control. Thank you. Hey, thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. 
A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at CFRU.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.